the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our Bible study, Psalm 50. This psalm, in the first three verses, spoke about the Judgment Day. Then, from verse 4 to verse 15, spoke about people who think that the outward religion is this is all what God expected from us the outward religion the outward expression of religion so how I live my life whether I am godly person or not whether there is holiness in my heart or not it doesn't matter as long as in the Old Testament I come and offer sacrifices, burn it, offering, the trespass, offering things, even offering, I'm accepted before God. And God said, no, the outward expression of religion is only acceptable when it comes from a pure heart, from a godly life. Then from verse 16 to verse 21, speak about our duty toward one another whether we are uh, living and fulfilling the commandment of love your neighbor or not so we we'll start tonight from verse 16 but the wicked God says what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth seeing you hid instruction and cast my words behind you so he is speaking here to some people who happen to be teachers like the priests like the high priests like the scribes like the Pharisees those religious leaders of Israel they hated the instruction of God and they cast the word of God behind them so the Lord was asking them this question who gave you this right? what right have you to declare my statutes and or take my covenant in your mouth seeing you hid instruction and cast my words behind you and this message is to all of us, whether we are clergy, Sunday school servants, parents, when we instruct others with certain commandments from God, while we ourselves put these commands behind our back. So as I said in the preceding verses from 1 to 15, God has reproached those who regarded the offering of sacrifice as the essence of religion just to offer sacrifice this is the essence of religion God now turns to address the manifestly wicked man the hypocrite who repeated his commandments to others and proclaimed faithfulness to him like the religious leader of Israel 
while they freely dis disobey these commandments by their conduct. He is asking them, why do, do you profess to know my law? Why you confess that you know my law and my commandment? To profess to belong to my family, to say you are the children of God, who are priests of God. When you neither observe my law nor keep my covenant. So this was not addressed only to sinners, but to men who were teachers of others. This address, as I said, to everybody who is in a teaching position, parents, some school servants, clergy. And God is questioning their right to speak forth his word when their lives were caught in fundamental disobedience. Their words declare the statutes of God and the covenant. They spoke of God but their lives dishonored him. These teachers claim the right of enforcing the commandments of God against others, while in their own personal life they place this commandment at nothing. St. Paul repeated the same thing in Romans chapter 2 from verse 18 to 20. And he said, and you know his will, the will of God, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. So, St. Paul is saying to these people, you have this image, but in your life you dishonor God. This concerned not only the instructors of the people such as the scribes and Pharisees, although it pointed, this prophetically pointed toward them, but also this concerning all the hypocrites from Israel or from us who confess to know God, but their works they deny God. St. Athanasius of Alexandria, whom are celebrating his feast tonight, he said, by the heretic, though he used scripture, scriptural terms. So any heretic, he used verses from the scripture. Yet as being equally dangerous and depraved, shall be asked in the words of the Spirit. So the Athanasius is saying the heretic is equally dangerous to the hypocrite who teaches people something but by his life he dishonor God. And the Holy Spirit will ask the heretic, Why does you preach my law 
and takes my covenant in your mouth. Thus, whereas the devil, though speaking from the scripture, is silenced by the Savior. If you remember the temptation on the mountain, the devil spoke to the Lord by verses from the scripture, but he was silenced by the Savior. In the same way, God will silence the heretics who use scripture, but they teach false doctrine. St. Asanisius continues and says, Praise is not comely in the mouth of a sinner. How is it possible for us to praise God with impure mouth? So, if my mouth is impure because I swear, I lie, I slander, praise will not be good from my mouth. Since things which are contrary to each other cannot coexist. For what communion has righteousness with iniquity? What fellowship is there between light and darkness? So exclaims Paul, a minister of the gospel. So God is telling them, who gave you this right? Who gave you this instruction? Seeing you hate instruction, their lives, the life of these false teachers, showed a hatred and disregard for the word of God no matter what their word said. How they lived spoke louder to God than what they said. These people were teachers of the law, so they said the word of God, but their words spoke to God louder than their words. And he told them, and you cast my words behind you. You threw them away hatefully out of sight and got rid of them. Contrast their behavior to David's behavior. In Psalm 18.22, we read, David is saying, For all his judgment were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. By the way, this psalm, starting from verse 17, seeing you hate instruction and cast my word behind me, is also a prophecy about Judas Iscariot. And we read this psalm, verse 17, in the 11th hour of Covenant Thursday. 11th hour of Covenant Thursday, we read this psalm, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you. Verse 18, when you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. So, hatred and forgetfulness of the law of God led at once to other sins, sins of deeds, like theft, like adultery. They broke in many of God's commandments, and this is another way they displeased God. Not only they broke the God, God's commandment, but they consented 
with the sinners, consented with him. Literally, he delighted in them, had pleasure in them. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. If they don't themselves actually rob, they don't do the theft themselves, but they give their consent. And this gives us a message. Those who associate themselves with covenant breakers fall under the same condemnation. Unfortunately, now, nowadays, some church consent to abortion, so consent to murder. Some churches consent, uh, I'm speaking denomination, that's what I mean, to same-sex marriage. They consented to sexual immorality. So even if they don't do it themselves, but they will fall under the same condemnation. As you know, these teachers of law were guilty of both theft of adultery, although themselves they did not rob or committed adultery, but because they consented to it, as we read in Romans chapter 2, verse 21, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? That's why they were called by God an adulterous generation, as we read in Matthew 12, 39. And they were so in a figurative one, because adultery means to add something to a, like if I diluted the word of God, make it easy to the people, this adulterating the word of God and handling it deceitfully. St. Basil the Great says, according to this, fellowship of thought would entail sharing the sentiment of one doing the work. So, if I agree just by thinking, by thought, with sinners, as if I am doing the same work and taking pleasure in it with, with them. Let us fear therefore and obey the apostle when he says, Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new paste. Verse 19 about sins of action. Verse 19 about sins of tongue. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. So in verse 19 he passes to sins by word, saying from your mouth, from your mouth, and you, or you give your mouth to evil. You give your mouth to evil. And the picture here as if from a spring was poured forth all manner of profane language, lies, falsehood, and deceits. As St. Augustine says, of the malevolence and deceit, brethren of certain men he speaks, who by adulteration, though they know what they hear to be evil, yet lest they offend those 
from whom they hear not only by not reproving but by holding their peace to consent. So St. Augustine said, if you hear somebody saying lies or deceitful words and instead of reproving what you are hearing, you hold your peace to be silent, then actually this means you consent to what he said. To little is it that they do not say, thou hast done evil, St. Augustine is saying, is it too little, is it too difficult to say what you are saying is wrong? But they even say, you have done even well. So instead of reproving the sin, they approve it. And they know it to be evil, although they know, to, know it to be evil. But their mouth abounds in malice, and their tongue embraces deceit. So another sign that one despises God's word is the way that they use their tongue to speak to others. Those sins by word, they were spoken not against a stranger, but against his own brethren. And it was not done, not from a sudden impulse of anger, but willingly, as we read in verse 20, when he said, you give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit, he said, you said, and speak against your brother. You said doesn't mean it comes with impulse of anger. No, I am sitting, I'm talking. You said and speak against your brother. That's why, as I told you, this was a prophecy about Judas. You slander your own mother's son. You slander your own mother's son. So sitting mean charges were made up and slander spread against the brother, their mother's sons. The word you said also has another meaning. Maybe you sit on the chair of Moses or on the seat of judgment in the great Sanhedrin or of the nation. St. Augustine saying why he said your mother's son and not your father's son. He said, therefore, this weak one is called mother's son. Why the weak one he calls mother's son, not yet father's? Because he still needs milk. He is born as yet in the bosom of his mother, the church. So those who just enter the faith, or beginner in their faith, as if they drinking the milk still in the church. So don't slander them. Don't frame deceit against them. They are not strong enough to draw near to the solid food of his father's table. That's what St. Augustine said. Verse 20, These things you have done, and I kept silent. God was silent to give them opportunity to repent. But when God kept silent, how they interpreted the silence of God, the long suffering of God. 
you thought that I was altogether like you. You thought that God is also consenting with you, approving the sins with you. But I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eye. So, because you misinterpreted my patience with you, and you said that I am indifferent to sin, now I will change my way with you. I will rebuke you and set, them, set these sins in order before your eyes. So, in some ways, what was the greatest sin of these people? They lost sight of the holiness of God. They said God is approving these sins too. One way that they forget, forgot God's holiness was in mistaking or misinterpreting his patience and long-suffering for not caring about sin. These things you have done and I kept silent. Like many people say now, God is supporting us. God is supporting uh, pro-choice. God is supporting, uh, because he is a loving God, supporting same-sex marriage. It's the same idea. You are saying, you are taking advantage of the silence of God, his long-suffering, his patience, and you say, I was altogether like you. God is like us. He's okay, he's indifferent to all these sins. Because God did not intervene openly to punish the sins committed, the transgressors dare to imagine God to be indifferent to them, to sin. God kept silent, bearing with them, unwilling to chastise them in the hope of their repentance and confession. And many make until now the same mistake and confuse the generous space God gave for confession and repentance to mean that God doesn't really care about sin. That's why God will change his way, as he said. Soon, I, soon will come the day of judgment, when as it expressed in the beginning of the psalm in verse 3, God shall come and shall not keep silent. God shall come and shall not keep silent. He will come to rebuke and to set the sins in order before their eyes. St. John Chrysostom says, By silence here, he means long-suffering. You committed such awful crimes. He is saying, I did not take vengeance, and instead I held my peace and bore it, giving you space for repentance. Far from benefiting from this, from the long suffering of God in any way, however, you ran headlong into worse evil. In fact, not only did you not change or feel any shame, or admit your guilt for these actions, for his long-suffering, his forbearance, his silence, his tolerance of such awful deeds. And 
you did not interpret the silence of God to his long suffering and loving kindness, but to the unwillingness to correct this behavior. So as if God is unwilling to correct this behavior and a lack of resentment of these doings, as if God is not resentful to these doings, to these sins. They had misjudged God's graciousness and forgotten his holiness in his love. Now God actually will change his way because he still wanted them to repent. So in his love, God would not allow that to continue among his people. That's why he would set these sins in order before your eyes. Verse 22, now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there none, there be none to deliver. So having been rebuked, the wicked are now exhorted and warned. In conclusion, he addresses two groups here. The first group, those who worshipped God uh, but, but they ignored the spiritual aspect of worship which God desires and focused on the external form of worship. That is the first group. And the second group that actually we studied tonight in our Bible study, the hypocrites whose conduct proves that they refuse to have God in their knowledge. So God is sending this message. Consider this. Consider this means take it to heart. Reflect upon it. Let it sink deeply into your minds and conscience and act upon it. Graciously God offered those who forget that he is a just, a just and almighty judge, an opportunity to consider and to change their thinking and their ways before he comes to them in the judgment that was described in the first three verses of this psalm. So he told them, now I'm giving you another chance. Consider this, you who forgot God. You who forgot that I am a holy God, I am a just, I am a just judge. So he is giving them another chance to reflect on it. Lest his patience be turned into fury and proceed to take vengeance on them. Lest, when he said, lest, if you don't consider it and change your ways, I tear you in pieces and there will be there none there be none to deliver. So if God should tear them in pieces, like a lion might tear apart its prey, there would be none to deliver them, none to save them, and their situation would be hopeless. Then the last verse in the Psalm verse twenty three, that's the last verse. Whoever, whoever offers the praise, glorify me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, 
I will show the salvation of God. I told you there are two groups. One group that they focused on the external form of worship. So the first part of this verse 23 addresses the first group. What God wants us to offer, not animal sacrifices like in the Old Testament, but offer praise to glorify God. And offering praise by sacrificing our life. And the second group, those hypocrites who teach towards the commandment of God, but they consented to sin and their mouth poured evil. He said to the second group, and to him who orders his conduct aright, according to the commandments of God, I will show the salvation of God. He, whoever, whoever offers praise glorifies me. The first part of this verse, as I explained, sums up the teaching from verse 7 to 15 about those who focus on the external form of worship, the nature of true worship. And the second part of this verse sums up the teaching from verse 16 to 21 on the obligation of moral duty toward my brother. So, at the wicked have final warning in verse 22, so the godly have their last encouragement in verse 23. Whoever will offer God such sacrifice of praise will be acceptable in his sight, and God will feel honored by him, glorifies me. Praise is the most acceptable sacrifice. True, hearty, gracious thanksgiving from a renewed mind, a repentant mind. Praise that proceeds from the altar of our hearts. That's the first part. Second part, who orders his conduct aright. This speaks to the aspect of forsaking the hypocrisy and wickedness and coming to God in confession and repentance. He who lives so as to glorify God and cause others to glorify him. He who submit his whole way to divine guidance and is careful to honor God in his life, brings an offering which the Lord accepts. This person, these two groups will see the salvation of God, will see the salvation of God. This is a promise that the person who structures his life journey, his life journey to receive God's salvation will indeed receive it. God will bring him to peace and blessedness. This blessing is promised to grateful hearts those who offer thanksgiving and holy lives conduct their life aright. Not only temporal salvation from time to time on earth, but spiritual and eternal salvation when he said, I will show the salvation of God. Salvation of God is the spiritual and eternal salvation, not temporal salvation. True and everlasting happiness, which God, 
have prepared for all his faithful servant and for them only. How does it happen that the essence of salvation is made to, to depend on sacrifice of praise? As he said, whoever offers praise glorify me, I will show the salvation of God. So St. Augustine answered this question. Maybe somebody says, so all what it takes, I will praise God to be saved. St. Augustine says, because nobody truly praises God unless he be truly pious. The impious may praise him, but with their lips only, but not by their lives. Thus, their praise is idle has no effect, while their lives are in opposition to it. So not everyone praises God, his praise is acceptable. But those who actually live godly and pious life. St. John Chrysostom says, Sacrifice of praise will glorify me. Now, what he means is that, not only will it bring my anger to end, God is saying this, so if I'm, God is angry with our sins, praise will bring it to end. And not only to annul the condemnation, but also will glorify me. So when we praise God from a pure heart, the anger of God against sin will end, the condemnation will be annulled, and also will glorify him. He promises to show God's way, note, and the real salvation of God for those who live virtuously. Accordingly, let us trust in his promise and glorify him through an upright life and sacrifice of praise. This, after all, is the way that leads to salvation. This concludes Psalm 50, glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.